Hello. We had an off week last week for the Monty and Wolf show, a.k.a. KFE, Korean Felicia Enthusiast, whatever you want to call this show. Uh, that's what it is. And unfortunately, as is sometimes the case in California, my power went out. Uh, so there was no real way to record the show. And we don't really have a lot of wiggle room in our schedule. So we did promise, in fact, that we would be doing top three players in every position last week. We never got around to that. However, now that the official regular season is over, we can do that. And we can preview the playoffs, which is very exciting. But I think we should start with our, um, you know, uh, simping for T1. Simping for oh, yeah, T1. Yeah, so our I've weekly been... simping for T1. I, I'm ready to sim for T1 a little bit more. Um, I was losing my mind this week. Obviously, T1 had uh, one tough opponent in D+, who they absolutely dismantled. They crushed them. And it, and it's like not even like that D+, looked bad at all. Just T1 looked way better than them. Uh, and then they beat Nongshim, which was... I mean, it was it was a free win, basically. Um, and Nongshim played like LeBlanc, AD top. So it was not that competitive. But even in the Nongshim game, like the stuff that T1 was doing where they were where Faker is like trying to actually win 1v3 fights and like bait and then buy time and, and then actually the rest of his team comes over and then they win the fight is just like the stuff that this team does where even as a commentator, you're like, I don't think T1 wins this, or you're like, uh oh, T1. Sometimes we'll come out of a replay because, you know, Riot Korea has an obsession with like we have to show every replay even if it's insignificant. Um and then sometimes we'll come out of a replay and it's like, oh God, Faker's caught. And then like, could we don't have any idea what, what the setup for this is because it's just coming out of a replay. Sure. We have no idea. And then Atlas will be like, oh, Faker's caught. Uh-oh, he's stunned. He has stopwatch. He got over the wall. He flashed the other wall. Uh-oh, owner's here. Oh no, they win the two before. Like, it's like... It's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. I mean, I was uh, I was watching the, the T1 versus D plus game. And what's so crazy is first off, as we look towards the playoffs, I think that game really showed teams how you can beat D+. And I think that Gen G actually executed basically on T1's game plan very effectively, which is why we had the, the O2 week for, for D+. But T1, they just hit these like really minute timing windows where they know they can get a pick before Showmaker shows up with Toledo ults. You know, the Weaver's Wall coming down. There's probably like a three to five second period of time for them to kill someone or else the fight is going to go very badly. And they managed to hit these timing windows. So the precision of this team is just absolutely phenomenal right now. Yeah, it does feel like almost every team that is good is like a budget version of T1 in some ways. Like they, each team like <laughs> takes some um, inspiration from T1 and... It was all in the Genji series uh, against D+. They also had like a similar game plan where they wanted to set up for hard engage with the Yone uh, right before team fight started. And then they even doubled down on it with the Ziggs where they're like, okay, we're going to poke on the neutral. And if you guys engage, we have Chobi's Yone and he's going to actually counter engage while you guys try to come in. And if you don't do anything, then Ziggs is just going to burn your health bars down. Um, stuff like that that we're seeing that T1 has done very well in the past. So... T1 right now, I mean, they are first place, right? So they got the second round of playoffs. They, I don't know, will even drop necessarily any games in the playoffs. Um, oh, I think, I think they're, they're, they're definitely going to drop games. I, I, I don't think I they're going to, I hope so. They're, they're going like, to go through this undefeated. But when I do my predictions for each playoff match, when we do score predictions, like 
it almost feels insulting to actually say like, oh yeah, T one three one, you know, and like a in a pred because it's just <laughs> the the weak points of this roster are so hard to define and almost in its own weird way, like their overextensions have baited teams into bad fights where T one actually fights perfectly, basically, and then like barely wins like they barely win these fights but you're like it looks calculated because this team is just so coordinated they can force a fight around an objective where they don't have prio they don't have setup but their rotations are faster they're all talking about the right target selection so they can actually kill the, the most dangerous target as they turn these fights and stuff like this like it feels like the weakness is they take bad fights quote unquote where they could have actually just been a little bit more careful and set up and then like totally dominated the fight or like oh maybe we just don't take this fight because it's kind of risky but they win these risky fights, so even in the fights that look bad, we're like, I'm mm, not sure about this. Like, sometimes they, they turn it around, right? And beyond that, like, you look at Faker, he's had an incredible season. You look at Owner, um, he's my second MVP right now behind Caria. Uh, he's had an incredible season. Fair. And then Zayas is the best top laner. Guma and Caria is the best duo lane. Is Guma the best bot laner? We'll talk about that in a minute, but... There's just no, there's no real weak point. Like Guma and Karia have the number one duo kills in the LCK. So even if you think <laughs> Guma's not the best, like they are the best in the two v two right now. Um, right. They have the widest champion pools, and in these best of fives, we're probably going to see something that we haven't seen in the last two weeks that T one didn't want to show before playoffs that that they have in their wheelhouse that we don't even know about yet. But I think that's pretty realistic to assume at this point that they have some new cool picks that we are going to see uh, over the next two weeks. I think what's so scary about T1 is that basically their game plan that they showed against D plus is something that they can use against virtually any other team except maybe KT, which is that you focus on neutralizing and diving the bot lane over and over and getting priority on the roam and getting faker down there. And then what that does is it forces the enemy jungler to come down there and the enemy mid laner to cover. And what you get, is an isolated 1v1 in the top side, which Zayas just always dominates. And this so, is what's, yeah. So, so you not only always, it feels like with T1, you not only always get river control, you always get pressure in the bot side, you always get successful dives or successful skirmishes in bot. Meanwhile, Zayas is just solo winning top, and Zayas is clearly the best top laner in the league, and so only Keen, I think, can really hang with him at this point in time. And that means that Versus any opponent but KT, they can just do what they did to D plus. And where does the carry potential come from? Like they realize that if you, I mean, Genji did the same thing. You you stack the bot side. Deft and Kellen can't win. D plus has no other win condition. Like Canyon will miss position. He will overextend at this point. He will get caught out. And then you can take objectives. And I think we saw that in the first series that T one had versus D plus. Um, because it's I, I, to your point. I don't think it's that D plus is playing badly. I just think that. T1 knows these timing windows so well and can snap the trap shut so quickly that there's very, very little opportunity to respond. And, and I think you, that's what's so crazy. And once you lose control of the bottom side of the map and Gumi gets all the plates and then Faker gets advantages because he'll get advantages from the gold he picks up with the bottom dive or he might end up killing the enemy mid laner who's trying to come down and match his roam in that big skirmish that always happens when Faker roams down and they set up these dives. So Faker usually gets ahead from this. He very rarely loses yep. out. And if the mid laner doesn't come because he's just like, well, Faker's dropping a wave, like, I'm warning you guys, Faker's coming. 
the bottom lane then gets zoned out of experience. So like if the enemy mid laner doesn't have prio and can't roam, just says Faker is coming, I'm staying, and I'm not gonna TP to save you guys. You guys need to probably back off the turret. They lose CS, they lose experience, and then plate gold goes over to Guma. And then if you try to make the cross map play, like you're saying against Zayas, like he usually has already manipulated the wave to be back towards his turret, and he's just not gonna die. Um and then there's nothing you can do. And we saw this, like you said, in the previous series of D plus. Remember that Faker casted in triple kill that happened yep. early on in the well, season? What's so, stupid, what's so stupid about Faker in his current iteration is like if he's playing a scaling champ, well, he's going to get the kills on these realms. And if he's if he's playing Gragas or something that can dive mid lane, well, he and owner are just going to dive the mid turret and kill you. So how do you deal with this situation? Yeah, it's almost like there's no there's no real counterplay here except to beat Guma Karia in the 2v2 so that the dive is not really possible to try to play that 3v3. But they're the best bottom duo in the game. And even if you get like a Lucian lane or a Draven lane where you normally are kind of guaranteed, like you feel like, okay, I should be able to have bottom prior. Like this should happen. Or a Varus lane even. And T1 is winning those too. <laughs> and then and they had so many different creative answers to those all season long. So... I don't know what they're going to do this time, but they'll probably just ban the Varus in the um, in the playoffs most of the time because they just don't want to deal with it. But they may have a different answer to Varus. You know, the Caitlyn, we have seen Jinx be a good answer to Caitlyn. I mean, I wouldn't say good, but, like, decent answer to Caitlyn so far. So they have that that they could use. And Deft is the only... Like, you mentioned KT for the top side. Like, Keen, you know, maybe he's the only one who can hang with Zayas. I agree with that. I think maybe only Deft is the one who can hang with Gumakaria if he has the right champion to do it with, if he's playing weak side on the bottom side, like if he's playing Jinx, if he's playing Ezreal or something like that, there's just no way. Or if he's playing Aphelios, I mean, Aphelios can end up getting control of those lanes, but I don't think that Def will outplay uh, Karyaguma there. Maybe Def could get an angle. Maybe he has the, the Zaya Rakan angle and gets ahead down there, and then it's tougher for those plays to happen. Or maybe you try to get Pryo on Faker using your jungler. Maybe that's an angle. But these are all like big ifs, and then... It's it's based on execution, right? You're you're basing this off of we will outplay this team, uh, and no one is really doing that right now. The only reason why Hanwha came close to beating T1 after they beat them obviously earlier in the season, but in the rematch recently, was because T1 got a little bit greedy on objectives and had like a teleport misplay, and then Hanwha's late game team fighting is amazing, and they can go toe to toe with T1 there, and they have good scaling comps. But ultimately, they still lost to T1 in that series, and what they did well still barely worked. Um, and then they were also behind the entire game, so they had great tenacity to stick into the game and get Viper to a point where he could carry. But they're just... The, the angles are so marginal. They are so slim that... I mean... I, like, I, I don't know. Like, I want to say, like, T1's going to lose games in this playoffs. Or that maybe they won't go to the finals. You know, maybe there'll be an upset, but... Just, I feel like it's dishonest to say. I feel like it's dishonest to say. <laughs> well, I mean, what's so crazy about T1 is that, uh, you know, ever since the, the, the first iteration of this roster, which was in the spring of last year, they have now gone 50 and four. So they have an over 90% win rate in best of threes. Their splits have been 18 and 0 last spring, 15 and three, and 17 and one. And so, I, I can't remember the last time that we saw a team achieve an over 90% win rate across three different splits. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop 
It doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon because this team, if anything, has consistently better synergy than they did last year. And they've leveled up on an individual basis. Owner used to be the worst player on this team. And I think you're right that he's probably second only to carry at this point in time when it comes to MVP of the split. The amount of improvement he's seen in his decision making, his pathing, his covering for lanes, uh, the follow up that he has from his team when he goes in so that he can create these amazing plays and engages. It's it's really insane. Yeah. And, and like the way that T1 has done this, you know, again, the 18 and 0 split is a more impressive record. I know we've talked about this a lot on the show, but this split is more impressive because of the way they're doing it. And the you could just see in the eye test, this is a much stronger team, a much better coordinated team. Like their plays are much crisper. They're pushing boundaries with their drafts, with the meta. And I felt like the 18 and 0 season, they were very good, but it was also like the LCK was weaker too back then as well. I think the LCK level of play is much higher this season. Yes. With with some exceptions, obviously, like the the bottom four, you know, are the same or weaker. Like we didn't have this Nongshim roster. Like the old Nongshim roster was a disaster, but it was not this Nongshim roster, which is <laughs> challengers players who are unable to compete with professional players, right? And then you have like the Kwangdong roster, which is also very weak. Um, and then like arguably Live Sandbox, you know, has been up and down this season. But when you look at the the top three teams, and then KT Rolster, which is a top three team now. Um, and then Hanwha Life, who's actually challenged T1, I think their run is more impressive this time. And I've I've commentated teams like MVP Black that went like 40 plus in a row, yeah. like series. And I would say this team is more dominant than MVP Black. Like <laughs> I, I would say that. Like just because the competition the, is is harder. The competition is harder. MVP Black was just like crushing this is everyone. Heroes of the Storm, by the way, yeah. guys, for those yeah. of you who don't know. Yeah, this is Heroes of the Storm team. They were crushing everybody in Korea and then winning internationally, but like the international was easier than Korea and Korea was super easy. And <laughs> and even like in the wins they took, they didn't look as dominant as T1 does. And uh, it, it's it's like insanity, the amount of dominance that, that T1 has shown this season and the amount of games they have won based off of like two kills. It's like two kills, yep. 6,000 gold lead. You know what I mean? Like that, that's... Barrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every game. <laughs> no, I, and it, it's just reflecting in their draft priority, the way that they've set the meta around the world. Um, it, it, there doesn't really seem to be a hell of a lot of weaknesses. Like I, like we saw in the last couple of weeks, they've even started playing more front-to-back 5v5 compositions, which kind of, it sounds stupid because obviously those are some of the easiest compositions for professional teams to play, but we have to check that box to know that they can do it. And we hadn't seen it in a long time. And then they started busting them out again. And guess what? They're still super good at that as well. I mean, it's not a, it's not a surprise, but we couldn't know until we actually saw it in the server. And that's what we've been getting as well. So it really just feels like it is almost inevitable unless there's some miracle upset that T1 wins this. I do think that they drop games here and there. I do think that teams like Genji and, and KT are good enough to take games off of them. But it it really does feel that this is T1's year, 100%. And anything less than continued domination of LCK and international events is unacceptable for this roster. Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of LPL, and this team is clearly better than any team in the LPL right now. I've watched some of the LPL, like I have watched some of the EDG Vons because everyone's kind of been saying this. Yeah, is, they're fun. They're a fun team to watch. Yeah, everyone's saying they're the best team, and I've watched some of their VODs, and they look pretty good. 
Uh, I've been pretty disappointed with JDG um, in the games I've seen. And then it just seems like the LPL is is having a spring season where the synergy with new rosters and stuff like that is taking longer than it, it did for some of the teams in the LCK. And some of the games are very messy. And I get it because the, the LPL is a different beast. It's like a lot more games. You're playing all the time. And then you have yep. to travel from city to city. Like these players actually have to travel. Um, and China's a huge country, so it's not like you're like, oh, I'm getting on the KTX train for like two hours and I'm going to this other city. You're you're actually traveling and flying around. So I think it's a very different region. It's a very different environment. And maybe we'll see, depending on what patches um, we end up getting for future international events, like maybe they do compete with the, the LCK. But just from the eye test, from the limited games I've seen, even from the top teams, they just seem to be kind of in disarray right now. But again, I'm not an expert on the LPL. I, I don't want to say too much, but no one I've seen there looks anywhere close to T1. Um, and I so I feel confident to say that I think T1 is the best team in the world. Um, and I've, you know, I've watched a decent amount of LEC. That's the reason I can watch the most outside of Korea, because it happens late at night for me while I'm staying up after I get home from work and I'm just hanging out with my cats and it turns on. Um they they don't look like they're gonna be anywhere near the LCK, obviously. So, I mean, if T1 lose international events this year, it might be because they lose to a Korean team and they choke again. And I think some people are worried about that. I'm not really worried about that. I think they're not gonna choke. But if they do not win MSI at this point, after all the hype, you know, it's it's gonna be a question of like, will this team ever do it internationally? Um, with this roster because they clearly do it domestically. They're very comfortable domestically. Going overseas, it hasn't been the case. Um, and I think RNG was the better team. I mean, they don't, have to, they don't have to go overseas for Worlds this year. <laughs> they just true, have to stay true. there. <laughs> that is true. But it didn't work out for them at MSI uh, last time around while they were playing in Korea either. So I, I thought RNG was a better team at that tournament. And then T1 turned it on at the end, like right at going into the finals, and then they still couldn't win. Um, and then the DRX story is like DRX strong patch for them. T1 did kind of choke, and especially in that game five draft, like they they got super thrown off by, by the Lux ban and all that stuff, and the Bard coming through. Um, th but like the fact that our it, and I've seen so many fans say this, you know, so many T1 haters and stuff saying like, I bet they won't even win MSI though. I'm like, all right, is that all you can say? Because <laughs> you think they'll choke at MSI or something? Well, I don't like them, so I'm just going to say, like, some future event may happen, and it will be bad for them. So wait, wait for that. Watch for that, you know. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about our top three players now that the regular season has ended. We are heading into playoffs, and we'll do a little bit of playoff preview after our uh, simping for T1 segment weekly is 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 done. Um, but they are just such a pleasure to watch. And I think, you know, especially because Wolf and I have been watching so many different esports for such a long time that we know how rare it is to watch something this good. Like, this is very unusual uh, to see this level of dominance and this level of beauty in the game. And so that's why we have to simp. Yeah, it's a real argument for keeping rosters together, in my opinion. Just sure. keep rosters together, continue to iterate. Not everyone wants, like, usually the players decide, I want to play with these players, I want to do something else. But if you have a group of five people that likes each other, like that's the shit. Like that's that's how you actually <laughs> just improve. Because end to the next level. Yeah, um, it's it's the way. It's the way. And if you have the money to to make sure you can keep star players like T one does, do it. Daney was the worst coach T one has had in a long time, 
But I think part of why this roster found each other and why they're so good together is because Danny actually played musical chairs with that roster and actually found the best way for these uh, and the best player combinations where they all like each other. So like we can give Danny a, th- a thank you for that. Cause <laughs> I think part of, part of this roster's success is because he like forced these players to play together and then they, they figured it out. And Zayas joined the team and then Danny was kicked out because he was doing weird stuff and clearly the players didn't like him, but I don't know. I think part of this, you can look all the way back to then and say, well, he helped. <laughs> and now he's gone. So they have a real coach in Bangi who's making big differences in the draft. I think the drafting has been a huge step up this season, too. But anyway, we can move on from the circle jerk. Here at Last Free Nation, we are not only enthusiastic about Korean professional gamers, the best in the world. We are enthusiastic about Freeze Pipe, which offers you a cool and relaxing smoking experience. This, of course, is the glycerin chamber that comes off of the Bong XL from Freeze Pipe. You pop this into your freezer about an hour before you want to smoke. And then when you're finally ready, just hook it up to the base and you can cool the smoke by over 300 degrees Fahrenheit, making sure that you have an enjoyable time and that you're not burning the back of your throat, coughing up a lung for the next couple of days after enjoying your experience. So right now, you can head on over to www.thefreezepipe.com and pick up whatever you want, a Bong XL, their pipes, their bubblers, their dab rigs, whatever you like, and your entire order will get 10% off with the code LFN. Easy to remember, because that's us, Last Free Nation. Again, supporting us does make a big difference with the sponsors. So if you're looking for a little treat before 420, which is coming up in a month, now would be a great time to order. Get your freeze pipe now. Okay. <laughs> All right. So top three players. Now we can circle jerk the players individually after circle jerking them as a team. You ready? Yeah. So top laners. I think we already, I think we already pretty much uh we pretty much went over uh this as well but it seems like the top is zayas keen and then grab back that, i the, say Doran. <laughs> okay so i've i've been back and forth um i did my official votes yesterday for the lck okay. and i ultimately decided i i'll pick kana for third oh um, my god i i decided because i think doran has had a really good end of the regular season but i think the early to mid parts he wasn't bad, but he wasn't high impact, whereas I think Kana was insanely high impact basically throughout the entire season. There were some moments that weren't great for him, like some isolated moments. And this is always the thing for me for Kana is people will just meme him because like, oh, remember that one game where he sucked and he's bad and he was bad like two years ago and he really hurt my feelings when he was on T1 and he was the worst player and I really don't like him. So every time he makes one mistake, I'm going to be like, Kana sucks, Kana NA, ha ha ha. And like, I feel like that's like the narrative that's always prevailing amongst fans about Kana. Every time he has, like, one bad game, it's like, he was always trash. I'm like, no, no, no. Actually, he's really insanely consistent and has had an amazing season, um, albeit on a pretty thin champion pool. Like, he played, it felt like Gnar and Renekton yeah. only for, like, the whole season. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> come on. He, he has a, a classic Kennen game every now and then. Yeah, he, he especially recently. Um, they haven't been very good uh, either, but... <laughs> that's that's something that like again i usually do this decision not based on some people like to do all pro based on what happens at the end of the season because if you were considering like i want to make the best roster right now with the players who are doing the best right now like i think that's an argument you can have but for me like my top three is based on like performance throughout the entire season and i thought kana had a better performance albeit very slightly 
But I think his consistency was pushed me over the edge as to why I picked him over Doran. I think Doran is just a better, like lower economy top laner with a more diverse champion pool. But I do think that uh, there's a there's like Zayas, and then there's a gap, and then there's Keen, and then there's like a giant gap, and then there's whoever's next. So I think the reality of picking a top three is that I wouldn't, I don't really want to pick a top three because I I think it is between Doran and Kana overall, and so I gave I gave a slight edge for Doran to the for those reasons, but for me it really is like. A, an admission that the top laners in LCK have not been super strong this year. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think it's arguably our weakest role right now in terms of um, the the top talent. Like, I mean, the, the top talent versus like the average talent. Uh, and, you know, if you put, would you put Kana fourth behind um, yes. Doran? Like, see, that's, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think that's the only tier list you can do. And then after that, it gets a little bit weird. Then you have to be like, <laughs> is Dudu the next best one? Like, you're like, yeah. hmm. it gets a little <laughs> bit weird. Like, <laughs> you're like, where yeah. does Morgan I, I think it's probably <laughs> it's probably Rascal after that. But, you know, that's a that's kind of a spicy opinion uh, on a bad team. But anyway, uh, let's move on. I think it's I think we already discussed this. If we say that owner is probably the second MVP candidate after Caria, then therefore owner has to be the best jungler and i agree with that and then i think that the 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 next level really depends on what you value in a team because i think for me i i have peanut and a lot of people are going to hate peanut because peanut he loses games spectacularly when he loses games and so his mistakes are so obvious that it's really easy to tunnel on those and focus on the mistakes that he made and ignore all of the amazing shot calling he does, all of the amazing objective setup he does. Because when Peanut's at his best, Peanut is not fighting. He's punching a dragon while no one else can get to it. He's taking Harold while you can't get into River because of the setup that's already happened. His pathing is still generally quite good. And he's also not sexy because his best champions are like Sejuani and Maokai. And he's about zone control and, and being a frontline to enable Chovy. So... And pays. So I really think that I I love Peanut. I think he's had a, a quite a good split. I would put him as number two. But there's other arguments to be made. Like Willer has been a, probably the best player on Live Sandbox. And even oh. though I think he has been sort of Wukong reliant in a lot of ways, he's been very clever in his pathing. And then I think from there, it's probably cuz for me because canyon has been so inconsistent and it feels like against good teams, canyon goes too deep and dies or makes mistakes. I think that the argument, so I I will say there's going to be a lot of people who don't have Peanut in their top three in the LCK voting, um, and that'll come out publicly eventually, maybe even um, before the finals. It might. Are you one out. of them, Wolf? Are you um, a Peanut hater? No, I actually put Peanut as number three. Um, <laughs> so he's in my top three. But I think the the main point of contention for a lot of people was because Canyon number two is, is seemed to be a prevailing opinion uh, amongst LCK people, myself included. I put Canyon second. I put oh, get uh, Peanut third. Um, and I think that Canyon's highs have been really high. And I think that when you look at D plus is extremely dominant middle of the season, like the first few weeks, they were up and down, right? But the middle of the season was incredible. I think a lot of that is deft and deft when he was getting Lucian every game. For some reason, teams were still not banning that against him. And he was winning every game of Lucian. He went like nine and zero or some crazy shit on, the, on that pick. And then he had... The Caitlyn picks and that was going well, but Canyon was doing 
without uh, the help of the mid lane, like Showmaker wasn't involved in this, doing what Owner and Faker do for the bottom lane, where they're just diving repeatedly and actually getting a huge advantages for the AD carry is then going to pop off in the mid game. I thought his control of that was extremely good. Um, he also played around topside sometimes to great success for Kana when Kana was on picks like Renekton. So I think Canyon was pretty overall high when he had his peaks, and then there were some bad games, right? But like the same I think, reason. I think the problem the problem with Canyon for me is that he until he kind of got back to playing the Viego Lee Sin Italy, he was really struggling on a lot of the more like tanker utility picks. And he was getting outplayed by people like Willer in these games. And for me, it's that Canyon has had very high highs, but he's also been pretty crap at times too. That's that's why I struggle with him a little bit. Sure. His consistency hasn't been there. Yeah, sure. And I think it's very close between Peanut and Canyon. And I've I've gone like back and forth on Peanut. Last week I was like, I don't think he's in my top three. I was really like thinking it's going to be Willer. But then I really like I actually like went back and watched VODs because I was like, I really need to remember what happened with Peanut in the early season because his blemishes were so standout that like it, it taints your view. And I think that's why, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, Peanut, that's really controversial. But I think it's really not. His his season overall was very consistent. He was a very strong pathing uh, player. Like he had really good pathing in the early game. He affected the early game pretty much every time. His objectives, like you said, getting the, the Heralds alone cross-map, getting Drake's cross-map, stuff like this. His timing is so crisp on these, where he's able to identify where the enemy team is setting up on the opposite side of the map, so they always go one-for-one one on these types of objectives. He's played that really well. And, like, the same logic that I applied for Kana, like, yeah, he's had some bad games, and people are always like, ah, oh, look at Kana, he's really bad. Like, I think people have applied that same logic to Peanut, and it's unfair, because he has been insanely consistent. I'd say... More consistent than Willer, because Willer's the only other option for me. Like, I I think Cuz had a very bad early part of the season. He's now yep. linked up with Lehens. Like, he and Lehens are now on the same page, and they're playing around uh, aggressive play, especially, weirdly enough, on red side, where Cuz is invading and taking the enemy red buff away, and then Lehens is roaming over there with him, and there's a lot of synergy there. We're seeing this a lot right now. But in the early parts of the season... Aiming and the hands were just like playing karma lanes and cuz is like, I'm going over there, and they're like, We can't get over there, we can't help you. And cuz is like randomly losing 1v1s to the enemy jungler in a losing matchup, but he's still trying to fight them and smite their jungle away and stuff like that. So I think cuz right now is is definitely a top three jungle player. I'd I'd put him over Canyon like right now, today. But in the overall season, I I can't say the same thing personally. So like Willer and Cuz are the only other arguments you could have, I think, in in the top three. And they didn't make the cut for me. Also, a lot of Willer's early part of the season was like miraculous stuff and or huge mistakes from jungle players like Cuz. Um, I thought the middle of the season was amazing for Willer. Like in the, in the middle of the season, yeah. I'm like, okay, he's a top three jungler for sure. And that was when Liv Sandbox was looking their best and the team had a high confidence. I mean, I, I, Willer also has substantially less to work with when it comes to his teammates. Like Envy yeah. is so feast or famine that it's very difficult to play around because Live Sandbox is like a win more team. And that is, from a jungle perspective, that means that once you start to fall behind and your team envies frontlining every single team fight, it becomes very difficult to do well. Yeah. He's, he's also been, you know, partially due to his team, very weak at the end of the season, but 
you know, I think it's partially due to his team. I think also he has low confidence. Like, Live Sandbox is a team that lives or dies based on, like, how hyped they are and how confident they are um, and whether Closer can play champions that are meta, which uh, right now he's like, I don't like Talia. I don't play those champions. This is really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's I, like, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> I agree with your assessment of Cuz in, in the early parts of the season, too. And I do think that once... Cuz has been better recently, but he did go through a a bad patch early in the season. And then he kind of had a revival because he just played Sejuani all the time. And then when people figured out to ban Sejuani, then he kind of sucked again and now he's back. So it, it does lack that consistency, but I think the job that Willer has had to do is a lot harder than what's been asked of many of these other players. And he still has been, you know, pretty good, even if he hasn't necessarily had the broadest champion pool. So for me, it was owner peanut, then Willer um, with Canyon and then cuz, but I, I do think again, that, there is a little bit of an interesting conversation to be had post owner. Um, and, and it just comes down where you land. Uh, all right. I, I think we probably have a difference in mid lane too, because this is a spicy one because I don't think there's a clear cut. Number one. I think Faker is the clear cut. No, one. no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Because he has, okay. So this is going to be controversial somewhat because I think a lot of this, a lot of my reasons for picking him as number one, are things that are somewhat intangible, right? Like the the shot calling and the ways that in which like he will go push a side lane and then buy a ton of time and his team will make a cross map happen. And so both his decisions to push like that and then allow his team to cross map, his sacrifices, his shot calling, all of the stuff that comes with that, his map awareness, which allows T1 to take these absurd fights where it's like a 1v3, but then everybody shows up just in time and then they actually turn the fight and win it and bait the enemy team into losing three players and then losing an objective like Baron, um, stuff like this. He's also been one of the lowest economy mid laners and is still doing the like some of the highest damage per gold in the entire league. Yeah, he, is... he, takes, he takes the lowest CS percentage after 15 minutes, but... Yeah. His absolute gold stats are still very high, guys, because his team is winning all the yeah. games. So yeah. he still is getting a lot of just total gold, but he's not taking by percentage, you know, the most. Um, and like, I do think just to be clear, like people are going to hate my take on this just because it is very fun narratively to see Faker having the best season that he's had in probably five or six years. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I think the season's over. I think Faker has had an extraordinarily good season. But my problem is this. And I don't want to overrate Faker on an individual level because that would do, in many ways, a disservice to the storyline that we discussed earlier with T1, which is that their synergy is really the most impressive thing about this team. And I, I see your point, Wolf, about the shot calling, but we also know that Kerry is a major voice on this team. I don't think it's like as one-sided as perhaps Peanut is on Gen G um, when it comes to comms. And so for Faker, I think he he has that, of course, veteran attitude. He's done an exceptional job of shaping the meta. He has played a wide swath of different champions that play very differently and done well on all of them. But at the end of the day, there is so much firepower on this team that his 
he does not have to carry in most of these games. And I think his creative, you know, his on the fly decision making is is extremely good in his creative place. He's that's always what's been special about him is that he finds creative solutions when he's presented with a problem that he has never seen before in a game or, you know, a very unique circumstance. And he's able to think on the fly exceptionally well. That's who he's always been. Um, but for me, because his team is so loaded with talent, he he has not had to shoulder the burden that a player like Chovy has. And I think what's so interesting about Chovy is that Chovy has, I think people will point to games where the draft didn't go his way, such as when they they played against KT and, and BDD had the twisted fate. Yeah, game, yeah. But I mean, that also in a way shows how important he is to Genji winning. And he does have, I don't, I think you, you really have to take League of Legends stats with a grain of salt, but he does have higher damage stats than Faker. He does get more resources, of course, than Faker does, because that's the way that Genji plays the game. But even as we've seen Faker innovate with Gragas, we've now seen these Cassante mid picks that have come up now multiple times that have looked extremely good. His champion pool is absolutely enormous. Chovy's ability to play the macro game has improved so much. Um, he he creates so much side lane pressure. The the match you were talking about earlier when they played against D plus, like his Yone is fucking insane. Yone and his is fighting is fucking insane. And so for me, Chovy has also had a, an exemplary season, which is not getting perhaps the attention it deserves because Genji as a team is worse than T1 as a team. But that doesn't mean that Chovy is an individual has had an individually worse split than Baker. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair take. Um, I had Chovy in, in third, though, so you're probably you're probably going to lose your mind about what I'm about. What I mean, I'm about. BDD and is I, look, look, man. There's an argument <laughs> that both BDD and Chovy are above Faker. Okay, this this one's actually spicy and difficult. Yeah, I, I I put BDD second, and I think BDD has been clutch been as great. fuck. He, he has been so clutch, he, and this is like the BDD when he's on, like when he was on uh, the 2021 Gen G roster. When he is on and he's on point and he's you know in form, I I thought in twenty twenty one in one best of five he was both like the like sixth best mid laner at worlds but also the best mid laner at worlds um, <laughs> in one series Sorry. against EDG. Um <laughs> and he has been so good. It's a meta that's very good for him. Like Azir has been meta this whole season. Now that Azir's nerfed, he's like okay, I'm not gonna play that. But he was playing both the Talia into the Azir and winning that matchup, but playing the Azir into the Talia and winning that matchup. These are two of his best picks, of course, across his career. Now the Azir is gone. He can still play the Talia. His Vagar, he's played very little of comparatively, but it looks really strong so far. The guy has an insane Yone, too. Speaking of Yone, we talked about Chovy a second ago. His Yone, when he does pull it out, is really, really good. And so many of these wins for KT were... When KT, in the early part of the season, I think they've kind of shored this up now, but in the early to mid part of the season, they would have like a 4K gold lead and they couldn't close out games because their macro wasn't that good. They weren't taking objectives very carefully and they would either like set up on an objective badly and then like throw, as we saw against Live Sandbox in the first round, Robin, or they'll try to take a Baron at the wrong time and they have to back off and then back and then the enemy team just gets Baron for free and you're like, KT, what are you doing? You know, there were a lot of moments like this. But throughout that time, KT won so many games because BDD would just have this insane shuffle into yep. a zero ult and just end so, the game. 
I, yeah, I think I think what's impressive about BDD. So what holds me back on BDD is that the eye test on BDD checks out like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Because his playmaking ability has been so good. He makes the big plays. But in terms of the actual stats where he's dealing consistent damage, he is a he's like budget faker in that regard where Yes, his team hasn't won as much, which is going to affect his overall damage in these fights. But he is also just like bottom of the barrel in the league when it comes to, um, you know, dealing damage after after 15 minutes. He's he's literally worst. He's literally worst in overall DPM, which is like uh, what he's at 474 compared to Chovy at 640 and Faker at 632. So while he's able to make these big winning plays, and that arguably is his role on this team, right? Because here's the thing, who's doing that damage? It's aiming, right? It's aiming. aiming yeah. yeah, it's aiming who who is dealing the damage. And you could argue that BDD is there to enable aiming and for aiming to clean up these fights. And I think that's a totally valid argument when it comes to KT. So I think BDD... It has been really, really good. But for me, I think that he is more of the like all in engaging mid laner and that's fine. But I haven't seen the same necessarily level of diversity in play styles that I've seen from Jovi and Faker. And to me, that's what holds him back just a little bit. Sure. But I think all these players have had really good splits and they do very different things for their team. I exactly. think it's very interesting to compare them because they're all so unique in terms of their style this year. Yeah, it's almost like a like a rock, paper, scissors argument in that like sometimes their styles can counter each other as well. Um, I feel like BDD style counters Jovi very well because he's like, you can farm, you can do a lot of DM, but I'm a DPM, but I'm gonna catch you and I'm gonna we're gonna blow you up because you made like one mistake. And then like um, you know, Chovy style like kind of in some ways can counter faker in, in some ways and because he will actually just be able to macro as well as faker and then get more money and then actually be able to out carry in team fights and like and like split push and apply split pressure. Push, yeah, and apply pressure in a different way. Like Chovy will apply pressure to turrets. It feels like Faker applies pressure to the enemy team in that, like, he'll try to set up, like, a fake 1v1 in a side lane where it looks like he's trying to kill the enemy side laner, and the enemy side laner's like, what? You you don't win this. And then somebody shows up, like, owner shows up. Um, like, Faker's, like, attached to his team when he's doing these things. And I, I just... I love how stacked our mid pool is right now in the LCK because Showmaker didn't make the cut because he had such a abysmal early part of the season. But like even he has really turned it on at the end of the season here. And this was the time. So normally when we do all pro voting for LCK, you actually choose top five and you list them like one, two, three, four, five. This season, for some reason, um, which I mostly like because sometimes it gets a little bit weird, but we've the on the voting, it actually just went down to three. So you only choose like one, two, and three. And the only time I had like serious issues with this, so I was like, yeah, I'm okay putting Showmaker fourth but it feels really weird that he's not on the list at all you know like that's like that's a thing where i'm like yeah yeah no one will get really mad if i go yeah chovy and then showmaker but people will be mad if it's like well showmaker's not on your list i'm like yeah it feels really bad but you know for me he was fourth and it was pretty close to chovy because his laning has been incredibly good um he has looked extremely dominant on pick champs like the leblanc for example um, and he's kind of the one person who's been playing LeBlanc all season long before the buffs came through, before LeBlanc's been more relevant. So honorable mention to Showmaker. But yeah, I, I think that 
those three though that we have those top three are just so insane right now and i think they're going to all do great things in playoffs all right 80 carry this one is a hard one too yeah this one's hard because viper's been individually very good and probably a lot of the reason why hanwa wins games deft has arguably also been the best player on a d plus roster that has done pretty darn well and his undefeated streak that you mentioned earlier on lucian is a big reason why they're so high up in the standings and then we have gumiyushi who as you say has been great with Karia, but do we believe that he would be as great with a different support player that's these are the questions that like i've I've asked myself basically since like week five, week six, because I've been thinking about this, like who is the best 80 carry? We've had this discussion a lot. And for most of the year, I was like, it's not Guma, you know, like he's got carry with him. So he looks better and he's just kind of given free advantages. And T1 very rarely win. It, it's crazy when you watch T1's dominant wins, because you look at the damage graph at the end. And sometimes like they all have like the exact same number almost like even carry is doing almost as much damage <laughs> as Guma. Because Guma's not popping off in 5v5 fights because T1 doesn't 5v5 fight because they win the whole map early, <laughs> take all that yep. extra gold, and then they win skirmishes the whole time, get Baron, and then push to end the game. Yes. So Guma's stats also look a little bit weaker than, than say, Vipers because sure. he's not 5v5 fighting. But when Guma is in these situations, he plays super well around the setup that T1 will give him. His positioning is good for punish. Like His Gale Force usage is fantastic. His Caitlyn in particular is amazing. I like how he tempo ults, you know, in mid lane and puts pressure on into the enemy uh, AD carry when, you know, the AD carries move to mid in that like kind of isolated 1v1, which happens quite a bit. He plays that extremely well. He puts the pressure on. He denies CS there. Um, I thought about it a lot more. I actually went back and watched VODs and stuff. And I, I realized like I, I voted for Guma first. Part of it is because I think he's been extremely consistent in the 2v2. Part of it's team fights. Like, he has kind of the whole package. He has the wide champion pool as well. The other parts are, I got issues with Deft and Viper in, in other ways. Like, they're not the full package. <laughs> Viper's early laning phase is very weak. And at the beginning of the season, he was, like, worse than Duck Dom in terms of stats. Yeah, but here's the thing. He also has the worst support that he lanes with out of these three players. This is true. This is true. But... I mean, I'm just saying he he did not perform well there. He had life, which is like it, life's not bad, but uh, comparatively, I mean, obviously, life it, life does not even enter the conversation of top no, five sports in LCK. No, so no. just go throw that out there. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. But he's he has been what we have seen him do has been extremely late game focused, right? And so he has been so clutch in his team fights especially on Zaya at the end of the season have been amazing his draven late game also was really good even in oh, games yeah. where he didn't get cash ins he just played the draven out so perfectly and a lot of hanwha life in the middle of the season where we're like oh the team's doing well now is because king and got put on tanks and they front to back for viper yep. and they kind of figured yep. their identity out exactly. there exactly exactly but but like where's where's the where's the the varus lanes like where's the depth like where's the varus lanes where's the the control of early game where's the the pressure where's the plate gold where's the pulling the enemy jungler to the bottom side of the map uh, without that like 
I think you're a top three player, top well, three player in this role, but you're not actually number is, one. He's playing with life and Clid, and what the fuck is the man supposed to do, Wolf? Yeah, but like I can't uh, just go. I imagine he would be number one if no, he had the other super players. Good. That's the whole thing is that <laughs> he, when they the, uh, the times they've enabled him have been the times when Hanwha Life has been doing the best. He also passes the eye test, and he has to do what he has to do with teammates that are are designed to troll him. They've been engineered to troll him. Like Clid, Clid looked fine versus some of these other like weaker teams. But dear God, man, some of the Clid games that I had to watch this last week were atrocious. They were atrocious. And they, yeah, Clid, Clid like had he he was like a an end this season. Like he like started off at the bottom and then he like went up a little bit and now he's like but he's dipped back down. Um, I mean, I, I had to watch those Gen G versus Hanwha Life games, yeah, man. And like, we all Clint did. was trolling. Clint, like, I mean, he was Clint just, lost them he the was game. just randomly dying in the yeah, stupidest possible the positions. Um, but look, that but that didn't affect Viper's play in that game really at all. Viper played well the whole time. Like that was fine. But again, like for I think you, what I'm learning here is that you and I value somewhat different things. Like I'm more results based. And like what we are seeing <laughs> and you're more like you're more like individually if you put this player in an all pro roster like and well, I think that's, look, I think your argument is good if you put this player in an all pro roster if he I should put be Viper in Guma in Guma Yushi's position in T1 you would be agreeing with me that Viper is the oh best yeah player. but but like but that's like an imaginary world that we don't live in so that's like what, I, yes, I, that's I don't the world that we're pretending for the sake know, of I, this sure, argument I, I know I, I understand I I respect your argument but I I actually think that Viper has been again one side of the yin and yang you know in terms of late game is great early game is is fine but it's like not it's not as good as is um because early game is not as good as Gumas and it's not as good as Defts. My argument against Deft is like the opposite for Viper in that Deft has not looked very dominant unless he gets snowballed in the early game. And I'm not saying Deft can't play late game 80 carries because majority of his career, he has been famous for being a late game 80 carry player. Um, and people always like misquote me on this. Uh, Wolf says that Deft's late game sucks. No, but this season when he hasn't had early resources, or early advantages, his team has not looked as dominant. And when Deft doesn't have control of the bottom lane, I think Canyon looks worse because he's not able to actually make the plays he wants because he's like, oh, I got to babysit Deft, and that's not what I want to do. I want to actually make plays in mid. I want to make plays in top. Or I want to get Deft ahead when he's winning lane. But if Deft is you know, playing Jinx or something, Canyon looks worse, and the team doesn't function very well. And weirdly enough, even though I think this is pretty obvious and we've seen that happen so many times, teams just don't ban Lucian against Deft, and he just keeps getting to play it, Caitlyn, etc., I mean, and, he, doesn't, he doesn't even need that. Like, he almost snowballed the game in that Ezreal uh, Karma lane. Sure. Well, that's um, also a, that's an, that's another lane that's like, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. An, it's, it's Ezreal and it's late game. But like, he had lane dominance, he had lane control, right? If he oh, gets yeah, yeah, if yeah, he gets yeah. prio in lane, like he's great, right? I'm just saying, like he did very well in the, in the match against T1. Like they almost started to run away with that one. Like T1 had to do some serious damage control in that situation. Uh, he also almost ran away with the game against Gen G playing Sivir with the the Sivir Ash combination. I think with Def though, the the argument is that he actually does have an extremely good support. Like Kellen might be a top three support in the league. I think support is also beyond carry a very interesting conversation to have but for me like i think deft it's it, it's a testament like viper to his abilities that the team hasn't found another way to win yeah I, like, again they need deft to pop off like that's because deft is really fucking good right yeah. and yeah. and canyon has been inconsistent showmaker has been inconsistent and this has been their win condition 
and and it's been in the early game and so if the if the early game doesn't go well for d plus is it depth's fault like no not necessarily if he's playing a more late game focused ad carry but again we haven't seen very many games where deft has been able to turn the game around almost on his own with kellen um and I think we have seen that for Guma, where the where he actually doesn't have the lead and T1 are behind and he put, makes some incredible plays individually and turns the game around. So like I think Guma has the full package. He's yes, he has the support, but if we're making this imaginary argument of like I want to see like who does what, you know, when we're going to salt this into a roster, like Kerry is going to win support. So we I'm like, "Well, you just put Guma there with him then, right? Because they already have that synergy. They're already the best bottom duo in the LCK." I don't think I, I would go as far as to say if you do Viper Carrier, it doesn't end up being like a better lane. I mean, maybe it could be over like six months where like they learn to play together and develop and then et cetera. Like maybe one day it could be, but I don't think instantly if you put Viper I think it would into take that week. bottom lane, it gets better. I think it would take uh, a week. Viper's too I, good, man. Viper's I would, too good. I think it would take a little while. It would take but, a week. <laughs> but Guma and Carrier have been playing together for so long. Anyway. All I'm saying is I think also, Guma's I mean, a full I package. Think, I think I Guma's not the full package. I think one of the major issues that, that we might see T1 face is playing against good Zeri players. Like I, I think they will be very surprised Pikachu.jpg if they try and play JDG and give ruler Zeri. That that is a yeah. I mean remember how T1 <laughs> lost the summer finals? <laughs> with ruler playing Zeri, yeah, I remember yeah. that too. I do remember this. I also wouldn't <laughs> let Pays, you know, if they play Gen G, I also would not let Pays have Zeri. I, I think that this has been a struggle for Gumayushi to play Zeri, and Zeri is still a very strong pick. And there are certain players that are able to win lane like ruler and Pays with Zeri when they shouldn't win Zeri lanes, and that this could potentially cause some very big problems for them. No, I, I think that's a, I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, uh yeah like i just wanted to say like just to make it clear too like i'm guma deft and then viper like that's my tier list and i would would have put you mentioned pays i would have put pays fourth i know some people actually have pays in their top three i think that he's still i think in team fights he might be the the most clutch and the best AD carry in the LCK at times at his peak. He's all brain farts unfortunately but he will fun. just he will just like <laughs> bat, he will kill mid inner or sorry, mid, mid outer turret, and then his team will like back off, and he'll just back on top of the turret and die. Like yeah, he, yeah, exactly. he still he still has some <laughs> some issues. Also, but like, also, I think it does a disservice to how good Delight has been uh, to talk because like Delight's been extremely good, uh, and I think that that has been a huge part of this Genji roster success. And Pays is having a he should be rookie of the year. You know what I mean? He should be rookie be, of the year. Yeah, he's he's been great, but we also have a pretty stacked ADC position in the LCK right now, and that means that he may, you know, may not be quite up in the upper echelons yet. I would also still put aiming above him. So, I saw a stat that um Kevin Kim posted last night that Pays has had the most kills of any rookie AD carry in LCK history in any split. And obviously that's, you know, since 2015 because anything before that like you wouldn't have. I mean, he's leading kills. the league in kills at yeah. two hundred nine or eighty rather. And he has no rookie players has been able to get that many kills in their split in their uh, rookie split ever. Like he's he's the highest that's ever happened. So the guy looks really good, and I think he. When we have this conversation in summer, 
like he might be way up on the list um if he can fix some of those those problems we were talking about so i'm excited for for what his future holds support let's talk about support because support the number one is obvious like carry is number one no one yep. is even close he's the to mvp him. of the whole league that's he's it. the mvp uh that's <laughs> like we don't really need to like you know go into all the details of this because it's it's just boring at this point but he's number one but i think he gets a little bit more interesting as you go down because i especially based on what you were alluding to earlier i think maybe you have a different opinion than me but i put kellen as number two yep. no uh, i think that's fair i think at times when uh, Deft was struggling in the early season when he wasn't on Lucian and Caitlin. I, I think that's changed a lot. Like Kellen was the most consistent part of D plus. He was more consistent than Kana. Yep. He was more consistent good. than than Canyon. He was more consistent than Showmaker. And I would argue, even though I think Deft is a stronger player of the two of them right now today, I think there were a lot of times this season where I was like, Kellen is a better player than Deft. Um, and well, it's also that in the first in the early parts of the season, Kellen was literally hitting like. 90 plus percent kill participation he was everywhere on the map he was dominating the bot he lane. also was never dying never ever dying <laughs> yeah he's he's also he spent the entire split being over 80 percent kill participation uh, kill participation which is the highest of any support player in the league i mean he has been 100 percent, i think instrumental to this roster his renata is amazing his lux is amazing um his engaged supports you know we we have seen them a lot in the past, not so much this season, but we know he can play them very well. But you give him a Karma, a Lux, a Lulu, he's going to do fine. Uh, and I I just feel like his, his consistency and his ability to help Def dominate, like his leaning is incredible. And it's a different way than Karia has dominated lane. And I'm not saying it's better than Karia's, but like Karia will set up really good cc and he'll actually play around dives kellen doesn't get those resources he just plays around pressure in the lane extremely well like he will stand in a bush and then like kind of kite forward and hit a few extra auto attacks like on lulu or or lux or whatever and get some additional damage done his micro in the lane is is really impactful and he'll poke really well with karma like the way he uses karma poke is really interesting too um I, I really think this player is super underrated. I mean, I think maybe not for, for you and me, but for like the fans, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think he's super underrated. I think he doesn't get the, the respect he deserves. And I think part of that is because it's like, Karia is the god support. And then Lehens is crazy lol. He's very famous, you know, like, and like Kellen just gets forgotten. Well, for it's reason. also it's also the recency bias, I think, for Lehens because the obviously his blitzcrank games have been incredibly entertaining recently, but he also, I think Lehens, I would put it fourth. I would say delight is probably number three for me. Uh, and it, it, just because Lehens hasn't had the same level of consistency that the other two have had. And I think it's a testament to delights play that he has been able to escort pays through, you know, professional tier one laning phases. Not that Pace hasn't been good in lane because he has, but it is a bigger ask to do that for a, uh, with a rookie player than with a more veteran player that some of these other guys uh, find themselves playing with. Yeah, Delight um, also, he, you remember, like, people, some people know this, some people don't, like, Delight just came from bro. Like, he, he yep. just came up and, like, <laughs> he, it's the first time he's played, like, he's played with Henna most of his career, right? So it's the first time he's, like, Okay, this guy is less experienced than Hannah. And and Hannah like makes very few crazy mistakes, right? But like 
He's like, I'm nervous. Probably Delight's like looking at the season going like, I'm nervous about laning with Pace because he's inexperienced, but I know he's actually got super high potential. And to like go through that kind of thought experiment through the early part of the season and realize like how to get Pays ahead and how to play around him. Um, that That's the kind of stuff that I, I find really interesting. I put Lehens over Delight, but I, I put him like 0.1% over. Like it was really hard okay. for me. And I think what Delight and um, Lehens do are very different. Similarly to how kind of like I have a, a take that like um, Viper and Deft do very different things very well. I think what Delight has done well, the laning phase has been you know, pretty fine. Like we talked about, he's, he's handling pays, etc. But Delight's team fighting is insanely good. Like he will actually change team yes. fights by um, setting up like a double binding when he's playing Lux. If he's playing Rakan, he will charm the entire enemy team and get some insane knockup. Um, Delight is like a team fight maker. Uh, and for Lehens, I'm like, he's the pick guy. He will turn the team fight into a, a 5v4 because he killed somebody because he set up a, a pick and that's like his playstyle. So that's not Delight's playstyle. They both do different things. I would also say Lehens has turned the season around. Like he was part of the problem in the early season, I, I would say to a certain extent because he was overextending. But as soon as it was no longer about Enchanter supports and he was playing Leona, he was playing some Nautilus, he was playing Blitzcrank, as you mentioned. Um, Cuz looked better. He made BDD look better. So I just ever so slightly, like it's like a 50.1, 49.9 for me. Like I put Lehens ahead. <laughs> All right. But I, I, I think Delight is super Delight close. Ahead. I put Delight ahead, but I, I think we can, I agree with your points. So it's just a matter of what you value. Um, Very good. All right. Do you want to do a little bit of a, a playoff preview right now? I know the yeah. first round maybe won't be the most exciting for people. Uh, for those of you who don't know, what happened is that KT selected Live Sandbox. That means the D plus will play against Hanwha Life. I think there's some pretty clear heavy favorites in this in KT and D plus, given the way that they've ended their season, even though D plus is coming off of a, a pretty tough week. It was losses to, you know, the two the top two seeds in the league. So not too embarrassing overall, but they didn't pull it out when it mattered. And I feel like at the very least, what's what's distressing about D plus in this matchup is that T1 provided the blueprint to beat them. And that could be dangerous. That could be very dangerous. Now, do I think that Kingen is the guy that's going to be in the top lane that is going to dominate in an isolated matchup versus Kana? No. So maybe they can't do it. But yeah, I don't think if, they can do it. if Viper can get ahead, then maybe they can. To me, it's about how clutch HLE are on objectives and how they play um like basically three dragons plus. Like everything that happens there, that's like Hanwalife's comfort zone. In the early game, they've been so up and down. And Clid has won or lost games in the first ten minutes. Um, you know, on his Vi, he's looked really good, but on his Sejuani, no, not not at all. Like uh not even close. Um his Lee Sin is pretty good. And like Canyon and um Clid both are amazing Lee Sin players. But because Viego, so Viego is bugged right now and disabled. So basically Lee Sin is banned every game because you just you're not going to give Lee Sin and then not have the Viego to back it up. So I don't think either of them will get to play it. So that ends up being somewhat of a non-factor. 
maybe Clid can get some stuff done on Vi. But I'm I'm kind of feeling like if D plus get drafts they want, they will just smash this 3-0. Yeah. Uh and if you look back at the D plus HLE series across the year, like HLE did not draft well against them. They walked into traps. <laughs> they they looked really bad. So I I expect that we might have like a 3-0-3-0 start to playoffs. Um now HLE could win, like don't get me wrong, but I, I can't predict that. Like I can't predict that. <laughs> I, I could see it happening, but I can't predict yeah. it. I, I mean, the thing is, is like it would have to be going back to scaling front to back team fighting, I think. Um, but the meta has shifted because we're on patch 13.5 now. We're now like Kennen is top tier pick. And I don't know, Kana, Kana's legacy on Kennen is a bit better than than Kingen's. And it just doesn't feel like this is a great oper- like great time to be Kingen because unless you're willing to ban like both jace and kennen it's very very difficult i think to to do well with your top laner and i'm not sure that playing blind tanks is the best strategy right now so i'm curious to see what they come up with but they're also it just feels like they're the worst version of they're the worst version of d plus in many ways like canyon should style on clit in this series khan is the better top laner when it comes to king in um showmaker as of recent has been been doing a lot better than zeka overall like zeka is a very high resource mid laner for very mediocre results uh he simply can't carry as hard as some of the top mid laners within this league and it will be very very challenging to get viper in a space to win when deft and kellen have been crushing early lanes yeah it's it's really hard to see how they would actually win this. It's series. it's it's really tough. Like you kind of just have to have a free early game, and D plus has been so good at the early game. Um, so I don't see I don't see it right now. But if they get through the early game, and then Zeka has that money, and Viper has that money, and we get to the late game, and they can front to back. Like I can see that that isolated setup. So if D plus messes up some early games, maybe. Uh, I think KT live sandbox is like such a wash um and i i know like the argument against this which is the fan argument of like it's kt so they'll lose lol they always do this <laughs> they like, haven't been doing that recently I, though that's yeah the exactly problem. like the thing is like that's always in the back of your mind but people have been saying that about kt for so long remember when they had that insane schedule we're like oh the kt might crack here this is an insanely tough schedule then they didn't crack and they just won all their games and then the one the easy ones too and they, like still didn't mess it up and like they're on a roll right now. I just don't think we can they're expect six match gonna... win streak, guys. Yeah. Like they're, they're on a six match choke. win streak in this round robin. They're seven and two, and the only teams they lost to were D plus and T one, and it was in that weird week where they decided not to be KT for some reason. Um, but ever since they figured out how to run all these pick compositions, in addition to the picks that they're very, very, very threatening on, such as you know we've been over this, like the Karma. You know the the Sejuani these these style of picks. They can still do all of the shit they were doing before. It's just that now they can run pick comps very effectively as well. So it's it's really scary to face them and to try and uh, have the to try and ban them out because yeah. when they were exposed, they came back the next week and then clapped Gen G with an entirely new play style. There's just there's just no like there's no funny KT probably lose lol meme here. For me personally, I think they they just have this on lock. Um, and remember last year when DRX was in the world's qualifiers and we were like, 
we're not even gonna have a conversation about them because there's no way they're gonna win. And then like they went on and like won the world's qualifiers and then won worlds. Like I feel <laughs> more confident now to say like there's no chance Liv Sandbox ever takes this and we'll do anything in this bracket, so it's not even worth talking about them. I mean, so I don't want to. We saw this matchup in week seven. <laughs> yeah. Liv Sandbox got three kills across two games. Yeah. They almost got perfect games. Yeah. In game I, number I, two. Yeah, I just don't think it's even worth a, a conversation to talk about Liv Sandbox in this one. Um, what, what I think is a really interesting conversation, probably the last thing we could do before we close out today is like, assuming KT and D plus win, who does T1 pick? Because I think T1 is going to pick KT Rolster. And I was basically, I had this conversation with the LCK casters and I was like the only one who thought that everybody else thought they were going to pick D plus because it's generally agreed upon. Uh, I think they picked group. D plus. It's generally agreed on that, that KT is a better team. Um, but I think in best of fives. And how many times Canyon and Showmaker have played against this T1 roster and Khan is an ex-T1 player. If I'm T1, I just don't want to deal with the potential of an upset that happens with D+. Whereas I think KT is is a team that's very good, but very one-dimensional and doesn't have like a lot of six strats. Like They've shown us some cool stuff, but it has been pretty obvious what their game plan is. It's just aiming has prio or he has a hyperscaling champion and then lands its picks and roams a lot. Like their playstyle is very obvious. It doesn't mean you you just win against it because you know what's coming, but I think T1 has a good stylistic matchup against uh KT Rolster. And I think that D plus is just more experienced and best of fives. And I just wouldn't want to have to face D plus. No. For me, I, that, I, that's the reason. I think we just I mean we literally just saw this matchup and I think we saw what T1 does which is leave the top lane in isolation and force everything into the bottom side and then be a step ahead on creating picks and and tower dives and making the play. And for me that is so much easier to execute and we know that when Deft gets shut down like there isn't a lot of hope for for D+ whereas what's scary about KT is Keen is the second I think he's clearly the second best top laner in yeah, the we region agree. Yeah. yeah and and also kt plays a bunch of weird picks that other people don't pick like i get that gp was nerfed on this patch but keen has had some fucking insane gp games and like i think he's a he might try it um, he'll play camille you know, he'll play aurelia like he will do that stuff yeah yeah and i think in terms of the playmaking for from bdd that has been a really really big threat and also in the bot side i think you know the last time they faced off this is when we saw it was the week that aiming aiming and Lahens were like trying to play Lucian Nami for some reason. And obviously <laughs> that wasn't going to work. Uh, and I think that it was smart of T1 to get the read and ban the karma and, and like be very lane dominant and stop them from scaling. But ever since then, we've seen a much more proactive pick composition um, KT. And I think KT will respond better to these, these bottom lane skirmishes because BDD is playing Twisted Fate, because he's playing more Talia. Uh, and he's probably the best Talia player, I would say, in LCK right now. I think that has been Showmaker in the past, or Canyon at times, weirdly. But, um, you know, I think right now BDD is just much more up on the roam and in, in terms of the macro play. And I think that it's a lot harder to ban KT out than it was the last time these two teams faced. Whereas they've T one has basically relied on being a step ahead or Canyon overextending. And it seems to happen every single time. So why not? It seems like a very known thing to me. Or I, I, I get that. Like it feels like KT have mastered D plus in terms of this meta. Um, yeah, they just, they've just downloaded them. Like yeah. I, I just don't, 
I, yeah, I haven't I, seen the other aspect of D plus that makes me believe that there's another gear that they can swap into in order to win these games. Whereas for me, I, I've seen it. Yeah. I, I, and like, I think your argument is very relevant for like right now. And based on like things that we, we hundred percent know that T1 has done, like it, it, they have literally proven this just a few days ago. Um, my argument is that D plus usually has really good strategies in best of fives. You know, the Canyon Nidalee is probably going to come out um, at some point, maybe even in the HLE series. We've seen like Canyon play Karthus jungle, stuff like this, where they keep this stuff hidden. It shows up in a best of five. It trips you up if you're not prepared for it. And who knows if D plus current form and even their series against T1 was them just going, yo, we're probably going to lose this. So like, let's just play standard. Let's play boring and like play our best. I'm not saying they lost on purpose or anything like that, but like they didn't, they weren't going to be like, oh, we're going to pull this six strat out against T1 in the last game of the regular season, even though it meant potentially skipping an extra round if they had taken that upset win. I think they thought they were going to beat Genji. They also did not. So they ended up going down to this uh, round one matchup. I think that just in terms of best of fives, in terms of experience, I'm always going to take players like Kana and Showmaker and Canyon over players like Aiming and Keen, right? And um, and Cuz, like in these best of fives. Now, based on current form, I think we all agree, like, KT is the better team. And based on what happened with T1 last week, like, T1 has a good understanding of D+. But I don't know if that D+, that we saw against T1, is going to be the D+, that after beating HLE, potentially plays against T1. Um, so, like, my, my argument is more historic and more experience-based, <laughs> and yours is more about, like, this is this is like T1 just smashing them a few days ago. So like they'll do it again, and they they're ready to do it again. So I I think I think your valid your argument is valid, but I just wouldn't be willing to to take the risk of playing against a D plus that probably has stuff in the tank. Whereas I don't think KT necessarily has anything in the tank. Like yeah, Keen has some cool picks, but like you know what BDD is going to play. You know Amy is going to play scaling picks, and he's really terrible at like in my opinion, he's terrible at Lucian. He's not very yeah. good at Draven. He's not very good at Varus. So uh, like he's had some really good Draven games. I disagree. I, I think he's fine at Draven. I think he's, he's fine. I, I think he's fine, but like he's not as good as Deft is. Um and so I, I just think KT's potential is limited. They're really good at what they do, but they do one thing. D plus No, they do they two have things. done one thing. They have they have <laughs> done one thing mostly, but they they can do other things. We know this. No, I think I think KT's drafting has gotten significantly more creative um, and they they do have, I think, more unique picks that they're willing to run uh, compared to other things. And a lot of that is because of Keen in the top lane. So I, I, I am I am bullish, I think, on on KT's prospects versus T1. I still think they lose. Let's be clear. I think T1 wins that matchup, but I don't think they would suffer as badly as D plus would in the current iteration of D plus. Uh, I mean, it just feels like we're back to last year where it's like, is Don Juan going to suddenly remember how to play League of Legends? Because they're always a threat. Do you know what I mean? They're always a threat. They always could come back. But it, it, I just don't think that that's going to happen right now. And I think we are honestly inevitably in for another T1 Gen G final. That's how I feel. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's that's where the wind is blowing right now, for sure. Um, and I hope that doesn't happen because... I mean, it might be the best telecom game, war final would be pretty fun, but yeah, like I, I want a telecom war final or it's been a if while won, since we've had one. <laughs> if T1 randomly chokes, it'll be really sad because all the all the narrative hype dies and like this is the greatest team ever. If they like randomly choke twice and don't make it to the finals, I'm like, well, that's really bad for a lot of other reasons. 
But I, if I have to cast T1 versus Genji one more time and tell these same stories one more time, man, I'm going to actually lose it. At least right. this time we, we have pays. No, no, and, no we and, have pays. We have a rookie. It's okay. We have okay. pays. But like, <laughs> if I have to do this one more time, man, I'm, I'm going to lose it. Like, I, I, I love it. Life. And it's the best. It's the best. It's the best play, right? Like, sometimes you, you're like, this is the best play. It's the best level of play we're going to get. So, like, that's what we want. But sometimes I'm like, can we get a different team in there? Like, just one time. Like, please. Uh, please. <laughs> Um, so like, I selfishly hope that like KT randomly overperforms and shows crazy depth and evolves as a roster and does some crazy, like lower bracket run where we're like, wow, can KT do it? And then they like lose to T1 in the finals. It's fine though. Cause telecom more finals is cool. Different, <laughs> different thing. It's not Genji versus T1 again. So like, please, please. <laughs> yeah. But you have to remember the other finalist has to go to MSI. So do you really want KT going to MSI over Genji? Cause I would rather see Genji go to MSI. I just, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on this show. I'd rather KT go to MSI, even if they're the worst team. Ah. Because I want to show different teams to the world, because there's, <laughs> like, the world thinks that we're only show different Gen players. You're going to show pays to the world. It's okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, Ruler will be there, too, so it'll be, like, the whole Gen G package. Um Minus Lehens. I mean, probably. We'll see. JDG um, might int their way out of LPL playoffs. They have done that in certain games. True, true. Yeah, I mean, they might not go actually looking at it, but <laughs> I just want the I want the world to know there are more teams because like everyone was like the most hilarious shit um, was that when DRX won Worlds, everyone was like nothing team, never heard of this team, who is this team, lol. And then like people knew Deft because the narrative was told well um, by solar content, other people, even Arco streams and stuff that we were doing where people realized like oh shit, Deft versus Faker is hype as hell. Well, a lot of people didn't know who Deft was because they only know T1, they only know Damwon. Their nephews, yeah. And then when DRX won the tournament, people would tune into LCK just because they're like, oh, LCK won Worlds, and I want to watch, and they're like, where's Deft when they're watching DRX? Because they're just like, I DRX is the good one, I heard. And then they're like, well, <laughs> why are they bad now? And I'm like, it's not even the same team. <laughs> I just want to show that like we have a lot of depth, we have a lot of teams, there's a lot of different storied organizations within our our region and um the fans aren't just going to watch the lck to find out so would it be the best would it be the best two teams if kt goes to worlds or sorry to msi no not right now but <laughs> would it be more interesting and like more showcasing of our region yes so like that's why but We'll see. I hope for a KT upset. Please, just not another T1 Genji finals. <laughs> what? What if? What if it was a banger five match T1 Genji series? Would okay, you... then I'll take that. Okay, you'll take you'll take your. I'll take that. Back. I'll take yeah. Okay. I'll take that back. But it, but because it's probably not going to be a banger no matter what because T1 is going to the finals and it's going to be a one. I mean, finals. the last the last best of three between these two teams, Genji arguably could have won. I'm just saying. Yeah, they, they may mean, not be as far apart as we think. True. I think it's going to be a three-zero finals. Team one wins. Jesus, it's not going to be a three-zero. I, I reject your, I reject that opinion. I reject that opinion. It's not going to be a three-zero. It might be a three-one final. I don't think it's going to be a three-zero final. I don't think it's going to be a three-zero. Where are the finals this time, by the way? Uh, they're in in uh, they're in a venue in Jamshil. I don't actually know the name of it, but it's a pretty okay. huge sports arena. And if I'm not wrong about this, I'm pretty sure this is correct. I just realized this a few days ago. The losers' finals are also going to be in the finals venue. So yeah, they're uh, on the Friday before the day before. Yeah, so we could talk about this for a second. And this episode's been pretty long. 
that was one of the other things I didn't really like about the format change is that we have like losers finals into finals because the finals team gets this insanely sick advantage over the team that just played the day before. And like the ability to make content for the finals is just not there. Like, I mean, it's oh, basically like, like an international final hype video. You mean yeah, the final hype video. Yeah. And the thing is like when, when you have, in the old formats where you had like the gauntlet, then you have a week until the finals or in our format that we had the last two years where there is no gauntlet, but you have like one best of five happens and then you have this wait for the finals for a week. It means that there's a bunch of t press time where people can write articles yeah. about this, who they think is going to win and all this stuff. I feel like a lot of that hype is lost when it's just like, yeah, but this is the way finals that the next day. It's, it's the way that it's done in all the other leagues in League of Legends, basically. I know, but I, I think it's inferior. I think Korea had the I, best. I agree. It, you know, I think the it gives the the winning the, the winners bracket team a pretty distinct advantage, which I think is not you know it's a good thing considering that there is no you know reset right. But at the same time, it does feel like you lose a lot of the hype and the potential planning and strategy that could go into it to make the best final possible. Yeah, I I think that's that's a loss. I think. It's hard to quantify what will happen to viewership because on one hand you could say because there's less of a hype week where everyone's kind of like starving for watching that finals that maybe less people watch it because there's less like press around it. Like I was saying, less articles written about it and, um, you know, fans will do all sorts of crazy stuff during that week to like hype up the series and do trash talk and, and stuff like that. But maybe the finals viewership is higher because the losers final happens the day before. A lot of people have eyes on that. They're talking about it. And then people just show up the next day and don't miss the finals. I don't know what's going to happen with viewership, but I wouldn't like, if it were up to me, I would never make this decision to play two best of fives back to back day after day, like as the, the format, like I would, that would be not, that's not a sacrifice I would have been willing to make, but it is cool that they're both in the venue. So we basically have um, three teams that get to play. Uh, in a really cool venue in front of a massive audience. And I have been wanting this for a long time that we have like a semifinals outside of Law Park because why not? Like the viewership is so high. We have so so many fans. Like the LCK economy is high enough to where I think it's almost warranted to to have like semifinals outside of Law Park. So that's something I've been wanting for a long time. Not necessarily the day before, but logistically, like <laughs> yeah, logistically it's, it's hard. It's It's really hard. So maybe one day we'll actually have Losers finals in a different venue and have a week before the finals. Like that's the that's the sweet spot. We're not there yet. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. Uh the first round of playoffs is coming up basically immediately, which is one of the nice parts about this is that we have one best of five Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we're going to get to see all six playoff teams competing this week. One per day should be very exciting. So we'll be back to discuss all of those matches next Sunday. See you guys then.